No, it's all good. Yeah, we're chill. All right, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. let's pray together Father thank you thank you for your presence here thank you for your love for us even praying those words doesn't describe the the realness the reality of your nearness and we we just want to say thank you thank you for drawing near even as we draw near to you I pray now that as I share that what is of me would fall away And what is of you words embed in our hearts that your word, which never never returns to you empty, would really accomplish and bring to fruition everything you want to do and say and change and create in all of our hearts. I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So... As a church, we're about to reopen on all of our sites, uh, all of our church buildings. Uh, when October rolls in, we're going to be uh, resuming um, church, but it's not going to be as we knew it. It is going to be different, but we are putting our best foot forward. We are excited to gather together. Uh, not to be on our own or apart or isolated, uh, but to be together as God's people in his presence, pressing into him, uh, doing as he's called us to, which is seeking him for his kingdom to come in great power uh, here in our lives, in our churches, in these communities and right across the land. And uh, we've just taken three weeks now in preparation and we've called this Returning from Exile where the impact of COVID has exiled us to our homes and away from normal life, from reality as we, as we knew it. Uh, we are beginning to come out of our caves, blinking into the daylight, and we're returning from that exile. And I wanted to speak uh, today um, really about dealing with failure. I want to talk about dealing with failure. And what I'm not doing is speaking into a specific situation in our church. I'm not speaking into a specific individual. I'm not sharing uh, something as personal disclosure from my own life. Uh, But what I wanted to do was to just share a bit about how we see Jesus dealing with failure. And then to think about how that works in our own lives. And the, re- the reason I guess I share that um, is because if you and I have never failed, then I would venture to say that we've probably never really lived a life beyond our own comfort zone and beyond the limits of what we think is normal. We are called, if we know God and to follow Jesus, to step out and to live a lifestyle of faith and impossibility in him. And that so often uh, results according to all the characters you see right throughout scripture, that results at times in failure. So I wanted to just look at how does Jesus deal with that? 
I also wanted to share really because um, some people have had an awesome time during the last six months of lockdown and some have had a really tough season. It's been a period which has been a refining, difficult, challenging, painful, really tough time. And uh, I know that some of us would say we've had some of the parts of our own selves, our, our deepest parts of who we are, the, the real us exposed and have experienced perhaps a sense of failure and, uh, you know, have, have almost been disrupted and shaken a bit by what has risen to the surface within us. So I just wanted to just think a little bit about how we do that. Um, and then I just wanted to think almost going into the future, you know, life is so uncertain and very non-easy to plan. And we, you know, people may predict and, and have all their theories, um, but it's really hard to get beyond kind of next month at the moment. And as we look at where we might be in, say, three, five years' time as a country, uh, all of the previous predictions have gone out of the window. And we are going to be in a situation where we're going to need to innovate, we're going to need to pioneer, we're going to need to embrace and go with change in a way that even in our hyper-quick modern world, we haven't really had to engage with really uh, in, in modern times. So it, when we do that, and applying this back to us as a church, even as we seek to respond and adapt and flex to the changing scenario uh, affecting us as a church and all of our lives by COVID, we are going to have to try things, and we're probably going to fail at times, and we're going to have to know how to deal with failure. So that's what, what, what I want to speak at tonight. And uh, I just really pray that as we just consider this and open our hearts, that God would really speak to all of us. And uh, yeah, that's enough of an intro. Let's jump in. I'm going to read to you from uh, John's Gospel, from one of the most famous encounters with Jesus. And it's where Jesus, after the resurrection, goes to meet with Peter and his disciples who've been fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He cooks them breakfast and then he has a conversation with Peter. You've got to remember, context for this is that Peter has betrayed Jesus. Um, Peter has uh, exclaimed right throughout the Gospels, I'll do anything, I'm up for it, count me in. You know, I will, I will do this, I will do that. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, having been warning his disciples, you know, for quite some time about what was to come, Peter promises he will fight to the death. He will go with him, you know, in, to follow his, his master, his Messiah, you know, wherever he would go, he would give his own life. And then if we remember what happened in the Easter story, three times in one night, Peter's challenged, are you with the man from Galilee? Are you with Jesus? And three times he betrays Jesus and denies him and says, I, I, I don't know him at all. I've, I have nothing to do with him. And Luke's gospel actually brings this out. After the third time when, uh, when Peter betrayed Jesus, 
Jesus is being, uh, he's been arrested and he's brought by Peter and, and he catches his eye. And you can imagine the sense of deep, deep failure in Peter when the master he promised to follow to the grave catches his eye, having known he's betrayed him three times. And you can imagine the sense of shame and sense of, I don't know, sick to the stomach, you know, uh, utter wretchedness that Peter must have felt when he catches Jesus' eye. Jesus' eye is full of purity and light and kindness and mercy. And Peter, who had said one thing and done completely the other, the failure of almost being Jekyll and Hyde, promising something to Jesus and then being something different in the moment. You know, isn't that isn't that something you know perhaps we can all just resonate with? I know I can. And Jesus, once he's been crucified, once he's risen from the grave, Jesus meets with Peter on a beach, and he cooks him breakfast. And in verse 15 of John's Gospel, chapter 21, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you were counselling someone, <clears throat> or if one of your children came to you and said, I failed, I've completely messed up, or, you know, you had a friend who'd just done something so, so terrible that they were just racked with just wretchedness. What would we do? What we'd probably do is say, listen, hey, don't worry, don't worry. You know, I love you. God loves you. It's going to be okay. We'll do better next time. You know, um, let me, let's work through what happened, but just don't worry. It's going to be okay. You're going to be safe. Uh, it's going to be all right. I love you. I'm for you. We're going to get through this. You know, you can read this encounter with Jesus almost thinking, okay, so if Peter betrayed Jesus three times, then Jesus seems to adopt a kind of therapeutic approach by leading him back through three times the opportunity to almost cancel out those three betrayals with three declarations of his love again for Jesus as his master. You know, Do you love me? And he repeats it three times. And we can think, well, well, maybe Jesus is just trying to set Peter up well by leading him through 
and cancelling those betrayals out with giving him the opportunity to confess his love for him. But what's going on is there's something really, really interesting which you don't always get without a closer inspection on the language. And what happens is that in this conversation, there are two different words in the original language for love. There are three different words in ancient Greek for love. One is eros, which means sexual love. The second is philios, which means brotherly love or friendship type affection. I would say, you're my friend, I love you. The third type of, uh, the third word in ancient Greek is the word agape. And it's, it's a word which is reserved for both loving God in the way that he deserves, uh, to love God in a divine, worshipful manner, and to allow God to love us in the way that he can as the divine and as the king and Lord of all. So, in this passage, we don't have eros, but we do have philios and we do have agape. And Jesus uses agape in his question to Peter. He says, um, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? We presume pointing to his friends, having breakfast. Do you agape me? Do you love me as your God? Do you love me as the divine being? Do you love me as someone to worship, uh, that honor, that devotion, that adoration, that worshipful love. Do you agape me? And it, really interestingly, Peter says back to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you in a friendship sense, in a, in a brotherly sense, in an affectionate sense. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, a second time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? Do you worship me? Do you devote all your heart to me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I have affection for you. You know that I love you as a friend or a brother. But Peter's, Peter's saying, not as my God, not as the one that I devote everything and I love with all my heart and worship. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, do you, do you phileo me? Jesus changes it a third time. And he says, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you have affection for me? Do you care for me? Do you love me as a friend? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you have affection for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I filio you. I have affection for you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on? You, you could do some research online and find that some people will say there's no significance to the change of meaning in these words. But I just don't think anything is by accident in Scripture. And... This seems a really weird thing that Jesus does. Jesus doesn't lead him through these three betrayals and cancel them out by giving Peter the chance to declare his love. Jesus says, love me like you should, like God. 
And Peter essentially says to him the first time, I can't, but I can have affection for you as a friend. And Jesus says a second time, love me as your God. Worship me. Do you love me with all your devotion? And Peter says, I have affection for you. It's almost like Peter is speaking out of his awareness that he can't love God as God would demand or, or invite or deserve. And the third time, Jesus lowers his request and says, Peter, do you have affection for me? I'm coming down to your level. And Peter's upset and he's hurt. And he says, yes, Lord, I have affection for you. Now, what's going on? What's Jesus doing? You see, we know Jesus' love for Peter and we know that Jesus' purpose for Peter because in Matthew's gospel, he's already said, Peter, you're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build my church. He's already appointed Peter as an apostle. We know from how uh, the history unfolds in the book of Acts that Peter is you know, certainly in the early stages of the growth of the church and the development of Christianity, we know that Peter was the primary, you know, leader in, in the first church. We know Jesus' care and, and almost destiny and uh, view of his life and the purpose that he's given him. So what's Jesus doing? You know, why isn't Jesus allowing him to break off his failure, break off his disappointment? What's he doing? Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, if you think, um, here's, here's what I just want to share with you. I think what Jesus is doing is Jesus, because he knows his purpose and his, his destiny, his God-intended trajectory that he's being sent on, I think Jesus is allowing him in the intimacy and tenderness of that conversation over breakfast you know, face-to-face, one-to-one with Jesus, I think Jesus is saying, hey, I know that you cannot love me as I would want. It's almost like Jesus like, turns up the microscope again and says, you need to love me. <laughs> you need to love me as your God. And Peter's almost like hangs his head with shame because he can't love him as God, and he knows that. He probably has his three betrayals ringing in his ears. And Jesus leads him through and finally says, do you, do you love me just with affection, not as you should? And I think what Jesus is doing is saying, I think what he's saying is, listen, Peter, with a destiny on your shoulders, there is no way that from your own strength and your own will that you can love me as I would require. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Peter, we've been here before. You can promise your love and you can promise all sorts of things. You can say the words, but I'm just bringing you to the place of utter surrender where you know that of your own strength and of your own will, you cannot love me. And it seems to me that Jesus is, is bringing Peter in the, in the place of intimacy to the, to the place where he is utterly, utterly dependent on Jesus. 
He knows he cannot do it. He knows that he hasn't got the strength. And that's where Jesus leaves him. It seems to me that that makes sense because Jesus then goes on to say, when you were younger, you kind of did what you wanted. You did what you wished. But when you grow, grow older, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. And John tells us this is to you know, give him a clue as to his eventual martyrdom. But I think the trajectory is, hey, Peter, when you're, when you're young, you're willful, you're passionate, you'll say stuff, you'll act. But when you're older... You're going to come in surrender and you're going to be led. And ultimately, you're going to be led to your death. Now, what happens? Let's just apply this back to ourselves. And then I just want to show you what Jesus does with this. Let's apply this back to ourselves. You know, when we fail, what happens is we have in and of ourselves such a great sense of shame. For whatever reason, maybe we failed morally. Maybe we failed lifestyle-wise. Maybe we failed to live up to expectations of those around us. We failed because we've said one thing and done another. We failed because we've, you know, been full on for God and then suddenly, ah. And what happens is shame comes upon us and shame is the other side of the coin to pride. Because we feel shame because we suddenly feel, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough or I failed and I'm, I'm not the person that they thought I would be or the person that I thought I was. And it's the flip side of, of pride because so often when we do well, we're like, wow, didn't I do well? Aren't I awesome? Aren't I this incredible? Aren't I living up to everyone's expectations? Aren't I exceeding expectations? And what happens is, deep within us, is this whole focus on, our, on ourselves. And yet to follow Jesus really means giving up ourselves, giving up, giving up our own sense of we can do it. And living in utter, daily, moment by moment, surrender. And, you know, I was having this chat with, um, with uh, my son um, just over the summer. Because he was like, hey, Dad, you know, um, you know, sometimes in our church we go on about, you know, wanting to rise up in authority and, you know, declaring this and, you know, God loves us this and all of that. And he was like, Dad, you know, don't we just sometimes like focus on ourselves a bit too much and, and big up, overemphasize like how great we are? And I was like, well, that's a really great challenge. You know, particularly when we're living in 21st century Western society, which is just totally into idolizing ourselves or idolizing other people. So that's always a good challenge. And, and he said, you know, don't we, don't we sort of overestimate ourselves? And, and, I, and I said to him, Finn, you know, I think the truth is, you know, the reality is if you follow Jesus, you've given up your right to live as you would want. You've given up, as Jesus says here, you know, to go wherever you wish and to fasten your own belt. But what we do in our church is 
seek to at all times not overemphasize, but maximize how much God has done, how much he's done in Jesus Christ as the firstborn of creation, the one who is our pioneer, the one who laid the pattern for life down, and the one who said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In the same way that I've lived, in the same way that I've changed the world, in the same way that I've impacted people's lives, that's the life I'm sending you into because that was the life the Father sent me into. So I said, do you know, Finn, it's not that we are seeking to overestimate or overemphasize ourselves. It's that actually we are building our trust and dependency on what God has done in Jesus and how much that changes our lives. And, and here's, here's our little secret in our church. Do you know? And here's what I pray every day, often ahead of every meeting, every conversation, every talk. I'm often praying, Lord, I just cannot do this. Lord, I cannot do this. I'm going to give you my heart, but I haven't got the strength. I haven't got the, the gifts. I haven't got the whatever is needed. But you, you in me, if I surrender to you, then what happens is you are able to flow through my life and to do whatever's needed. Because look at this. Look what Jesus does. Jesus isn't being cruel to Peter by bringing him face to face with his lack of ability to love as God would want, to be the person God has called him to be. Look what Jesus does. He says, Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you adore me as your God? And Peter says, I have affection for you. And what does Jesus say? He says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. A second time, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. The precious ones, the young ones. We had lambs during lockdown in our back garden. And they need a lot of care, a lot of nurture. Just because they're getting going. They're, they're vulnerable. They're delicate. And Jesus says to Peter, even though you can't, of your own will and strength, even though you can't feed my lambs, even though you can't love me as you might have said you would before I was crucified, even though you can't do that, tend my sheep. Look, look after the sheep, guide them, nurture them, protect them, watch over them. Even though all you can give me is affection, not the love that I, that I am calling out of you. I'm saying, feed my sheep. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, he's bringing Peter, Peter to the place where Peter acknowledges and will know forevermore that he, of his own strength, can't do this. And Jesus is saying, and I am saying, give. I'm saying, feed. I'm saying care, I'm saying protect, I'm saying shepherd. It's like Jesus is saying, I am calling out of you that you can't and I am commissioning you to go. I'm commissioning you to feed. I'm, it's almost like you're, I'm, I'm getting you to say to me, you have nothing and I'm saying to you, now you have something. Jackie Pullinger uh, has this expression, when we come to the end of ourselves, God can begin. 
You know, look at what Jesus has been doing as he's been training his disciples right throughout the Gospels. They've got 5,000 men, probably 10,000 women and children as well. And the disciples are freaking out. They're like, Jesus, you know, who's going to feed these guys? They're starving. We're miles from anywhere. And what does Jesus say? He says, you give them something to eat. He, he pushes them to the place, knowing their lack, that, and, and almost like demands and calls out of something from them. Jesus brings Peter to this place where he knows he can't. And Jesus says, and now I am inviting you to, to, to allow something to come from you. I'm commissioning you. I'm saying, you can't now give. And, and it's almost, I guess, I, 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 just to try and put this simply, it's, it's almost like when we know we have nothing, then God's everything can move through our lives. You know, I would honestly say that I have, when I've prayed for people, I've seen more people healed when I felt pretty, pretty um, not full of fire, <laughs> not full of joy, pretty miserable, pretty grumpy. And, and yet when I'm feeling pumped up and I'm flying, you know, I've sometimes seen more results when I'm just like, oh, I'm just like feeling pretty empty. But in obedience and surrender, I am going to do what you have sent me out to do. And I'm going to pray. And then it's like, oh, my days. Wow. And it's almost like in the obedience of surrender, Jesus comes alive and he flows through us. You know, because we feel so powerful and independent and in control of our lives in the western world don't we and yet Jesus is saying feed my lambs from the place where you have nothing and honestly I would say daily I'm like Lord I can't do this Lord I cannot exist on my own strength I, I cannot guide this meeting I cannot provide for my family I cannot lead the church I cannot smile anymore I cannot love anymore but as as I pour out my heart I find his grace his kindness his presence his love his mercy his spirit his power his glory comes from that place of utter dependency utter surrender you know I, I think one of the things that I value the most is when people know that they've lost everything and that leads them to a place not of despair but of dependency. You know, um, Louise and I, we follow God. We've, we've stepped out, you know, hundreds of times and we've fallen on our faces. We've, we've lost everything. You know, loads of times I've lost reputation. Um, so many times we've, we've lost um, status and ministry and future and all of that. We know what it's like to have lost. But when we've thrown ourselves on God, he is gracious and merciful and he is able and he just pours out his riches because he's like, ah, now I can work with someone who isn't going to bring their own stuff and just have me as an add-on, but is going to be surrendered and dependent. 
for every decision, every conversation, every moment, every thought, every attitude, every aspiration. So that when we're in good times, we remain dependent on his presence, on his voice, on, his, on the leadership of his spirit. And when we're in bad times, we know, oh my goodness, I've got a father who provides, who protects, who loves, who, who sorts me out. So how do we deal with failure? You know, when we feel a sense of wretchedness, it's probably because we don't feel good enough and we feel full of regret and we've dismayed our own perceptions of ourselves. The flip side of that is it's just our pride in our own, our own adequacy that we thought that we could carry. And how we deal with failure is we come to Jesus, who is the reflection of the heart of the Father. And we sit with him and we say, I bring you myself. I thought I was this. I'm not. I'm out of strength. Here I am. And what I found time and again is I've just knelt and sat in the, in the intimacy and presence of Jesus and looked in his eyes is that when he's got all of me, that's when he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Failure is really just bringing, crucifying our own dependency on ourselves and throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. You know, I love love how Jesus says, You know, he or she who's been forgiven much, loves much. You know, when we come honestly to Jesus in failure and we receive his kindness and his mercy, oh my goodness, don't we love so much? Do you remember that woman who brought a year's worth, a perfume worth, a whole year's wages? The average salary in West Sussex is 29,000 pounds. And she brings 29,000 quid and she smashes it over Jesus' feet and she just weeps and weeps and weeps. And Jesus said, her story is going to be told forevermore. The surrender, the pouring out of her heart in brokenness, surrounded by scorn, to bring her, bring her best and say, there's nowhere else I'd rather go than to spend a year's wages on you. And Jesus says, wow, now I've got your everything. I'll give you my everything and I can begin. And the story of that type of devotion is going to be known throughout the world. I hope that's helpful. That's how I deal with failure. (laughs) Hmm. I just want to pray just now. I just feel like Jesus is saying just, we've got to start giving, giving out from the place of nothing, from the place where we've got no strength to give. We've got to start feeding his sheep. We've got to start tending his flock. We've got to start giving. We've got to start giving from ourselves. We've got to start loving. We've got to start blessing. We've got to start prophesying. We've got to start healing. We've got to start financially being generous. We've got to start tending Jesus' sheep, feeding his lambs. And as we, as we go, as we give, as we, 
as we say, I've got nothing, then we can find that he has everything and he is everything. So Father, just bless, bless my brothers and sisters. Bless everybody who's watching. If you don't know Jesus, then what I want to say to you is, um, as a young man did in our church, uh, just fall on your knees in your room and just give your heart to Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else to go. You can run around for the rest of your life trying to live as well as you can, but you will miss the grace, the beauty, the power of eternity coming into you now and knowing God forever and ever. So if you don't know Jesus, just pray a simple prayer. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry for not knowing you before, but I want to know you now. I'm sorry for who I was, and I thank you that you forgive me because of what you did on the cross. You open your heart to him and, and just say, Lord, all of you, fill all of me. Take my life forevermore. If you're here and you're bringing failure to, to Jesus, I just say where you feel wretched and condemned, then that is the, the father of lies. That is the devil telling you you're rubbish. And it, and it is not true. What is true is that you cannot live without God. But because he loves you, he sent his son and he saved you. And he's dealt with every failure on the cross. And he calls you now his son and his daughter. So get up off your, get up off your shame bed. Get up off your feeling sorry for yourself and begin to tend his flock, tend his sheep, feed his lambs. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn the light of his countenance towards you. And this day and the days to come, may he fill you. As we, as we had sung over us uh, today, may he fill you with his peace, with his very presence as the Prince of Peace. Amen. Man, love you all. God bless. Can't wait to see you outdoors in a week's time. And uh, check into our website for all the info. God bless you. Goodbye.